Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's series. And I'm really pleased to have a fascinating man, began his life as the CTO of a startup in India. Then he got snapped up by Microsoft in America and he worked as a director for some 12 years there or in various roles until he became founder director. And then he moved on to Google for three years as engineering director. And now he's in a really exciting company called Remitly Global who are based in Seattle, and I have the pleasure of working with them and particularly working with our guest. And he'll tell you a little bit about himself in a moment. So over to you. That's awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast and in this version of it for this particular week. Uh, my name is Ankur Sinha. I am the Chief Technology Officer at Remitly Global. Back over to you, Jonathan. Thank you very much indeed. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted uh, and other people said to me that they found you inspiring, but I just love the way that you are with your colleagues on an executive team. Um, there's a lovely mixture of what you and I talked about earlier, humanity, humility, a nice bit of humor, mm-hmm. and also a way of helping others and even being challenging to others without making them feel ashamed or embarrassed or wrong, but not being a bystander. Not, mm-hmm. con- not condoning like we've seen many people, whether it be in the American political system or in the British political system, when you've got an awful leader, which you haven't in, remotely, you've got a fantastic CEO in, in Matt and a great co-founder in Josh, but um, the, where no one calls out, they all collude and, mm-hmm. and no one's committed to, to changing things. But, but you're someone who's prepared to challenge but at the same time, it's not about your ego. And, and I like that very much, which takes me nicely onto your leadership style. We were talking about inspiring leadership, which the whole series is about. For you, what does inspiring leadership mean? What, what qualities have you seen in people you'd refer to as inspiring leaders, Anchor? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question, Dalton. And I, I reflected deeply on that one because it's important to think about what resonates to you as a leader, both as one myself and then like on behalf of the people who you lead. I would say three qualities come to mind for me uh, that I think are core to me and I think core to what I think of inspiring leadership. Uh, authenticity, uh, being yourself, uh, you know, without being too deferential, too humility, humility focused, uh, but being yourself and being able to do what you feel is right. Uh, being resilient. I think being a leader teaches you resilience because you have to go through a lot, uh, both for yourself and on behalf of the people in the organization and being consistent. Mm-hmm. Like being able to make sure that you do it the small little things matter uh, you know how you drive positivity how you drive motivation in small little things in daily life matters a lot more uh, you know and that remains behind even after the leader is gone that's why like i think no ego is, is a big principle of mine as well but you know it's more making sure that you know you leave behind uh, what you stand for and, and people can continue driving the organization even after you're gone that so, is i like i like those ones and in fact um, there was one of the leaders I worked with, with uh, one of the offshoots of Walmart that, that they mm-hmm. owned for a while, but no longer called uh, Asda in the UK, a big supermarket chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the HR director, she, she said that one of the important things they looked upon was TNT, like the, the explosive. 
And mm -hmm. TNT is tiny noticeable things. A yeah. bit like uh, when you're the mayor of New York and you're trying to reduce the number of broken windows. And you go, well, why are you focusing on broken windows? It's crime. But of course, in areas where there's no broken windows, there's less crime. It's a, it's a small thing. So, so TNT, tiny noticeable things, I thought was a, a great little phrase. Um, I'm very interested in the whole idea of um, personalizing your life map, the experiences you've had with the, 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 the peaks and the valleys and how your parents, and I know your, your father and I think your brother were, a, it's a very technological family, um, but that uh, they really passed on to you your map, your life map. But yet you've added to it and you've put experiences you have. And also you're very, uh, I think you're very quite spiritual as well as quite practical in that what you will and won't do, whether you're reading about the Dalai Lama or other things about this, but, but things you've added to your life map, which are uh, healthy patterns and other patterns that you took from childhood, which you're choosing to let go of, not serving you anymore in the way you interact. So tell me a bit about your life journey um, and, and how you've reframed it and certain events that have shaped you. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I definitely believe in this philosophy. I think I don't know, it's something that's evolved over time, but I would say the philosophy I stand by is this notion of uh, explore, uh, evolve and enjoy. Uh, okay. So I would say I've always been a curious student. Like I like learning day to day from you know day to day experiences. Uh, I try to reflect on my life's happenings and those around me. You know to see what I can learn. Right. So, so I think that mentality helps quite a bit. Uh, I also try not to judge anyone or anything. So I try to resist judgment as much as I can. And we're already talking about you know resisting the urge to you know have ego drive you know your your conversation. So. I try to resist ego as much as I can. It's hard, but I think it, it's helpful. Uh, so I would say that's the general philosophy I live by. That's how I've kind of shaped myself over time. I would say in my formative years, obviously deeply influenced by my family. Like you said, you've been a technologically forward family. Uh, so I think, you know, both my parents and my brother had like deep influence on me. You know, we're a tech family. My father was in tech. My brother was in tech. So that's how I think the initial interest started. I would say my mom has been a big influence on just how I think about life in general. So I think a lot of the the compassion comes from there. Uh, I would also say like my wife, who's been a partner in crime with me, someone I've worked mm -hmm. with and learned from quite a bit. I think she's taught me a lot more about diligence and tenacity than I've learned from many other people. And we often role play, like, you know, work in life situations between the two of us. So I think it's been, you know, quite a helpful uh, conversation. Uh, and I would say I've had a lot of, I've had the pleasure of having really, really good mentors and managers. Uh, who have, you know, deeply, deeply shaped how I think. Uh, I'll mention one name. Uh, his name was Kurt Steve, I think who deeply influenced the approach of leadership I've taken. I would say he taught me this notion of what we call contagious compassion, uh, not just empathy, not just things that you can understand. It's like actually having deep care and compassion for, you know, the people and the organizations you lead. And I think that's stayed with me, you know, even after he's, he passed away tragically a few years ago, but that right. stayed mean and I leverage that till today uh, I'm, I'm sorry that he he passed but it sounds like he's left a wonderful legacy and uh, we'll talk about legacy later on but but stewardship is about leaving things better than you found them and and the seeds that he's planted in you are you know bearing fruit today um in your life with all those experiences you had what about um the peak of uh, uh happiest proudest moment and, and the valley of a darkest most difficult moment and what you learned from each of those two yeah yeah i would say these days my peaks are more smaller but consistent so it goes back to your example of tnt 
tiny noticeable things. Uh, so I think these days I feel happiest when I'm able to make a small difference in someone's life. Can be something small, can be something simple uh, that drives more pride in me than like any of my own achievements. I think that's been an interesting change. I think it's evolved in my life. I would say otherwise in my life, I think life, I think my peak has been like getting married. For me, getting married was a big deal. Uh, it's a long story. I won't use it here, but I would say uh, what <laughs> what my marriage taught me was that persistence pays off. Uh, so, you know, keep it at that and let people think about it. But it definitely was like, I think my happiest moment. And I think my most proudest moment in that sense would have been, uh, I think the birth of my children. Uh, I have two children, six and three right now. I think what that taught me was, you know, life is indeed quite precious and beautiful. And I think we need to cherish it while we can. Uh, and that's something I've, you know, tried to hold on to since I've had children in my life. It's been pretty life-changing. Yeah, there's no doubt about it that um, uh, I've got four children, two of my own and two that Lee brought to the marriage. And uh, and it's a real special moment. And of course, at the age of your two and mine are now age 30 to, to 27. Um, and of course, we've got a couple of grandchildren now. And then that's another area. I think as a grandfather uh, or a grandmother, you, you can sort of live vicariously through your own children. Uh, look after them. They're coming to stay this weekend, Saturday, Sunday and Monday, perhaps nice. even fri Friday as well. Um, look after little uh, runarounds and the sort of screaming and all that kind of stuff. Give them a break. But then at the end of that time, you can hand them over and they take them away again, <laughs> which is which is, is rather nice. And uh, it makes you appreciate uh, those things because there's such a joy. And, and as a grandfather, you can spend more time not being in such a hurry as you were as a parent to move on. And if they want to stop and have a look at a daisy, that's fine. Let's stop and have a look at a daisy. A bit like you and uh, the learnings you had from the people that you enjoy coaching and mentoring and and how much joy you get from that rather than your own self-achievement I, I i do agree with you on that um and what about what about a darkest moment and 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 what did you learn from that i think the one that comes to mind is like it's a particular date i can never forget it because it was like that etched that deeply etched into my memory um so it was you know the 22nd of jan 2009 um i'll probably give a little bit of context uh, so I was part of Microsoft. I had moved from Microsoft India to, to here in, in the Seattle area. Uh, six months into a new country, new to leading teams. Uh, and then on 22nd of Jan 2009, as some folks might be familiar, Microsoft decided to do its first ever layoffs. Uh, pretty large. I think we, we had to lay off about 5,000 people. The economy was downturning. We had to make those changes. Uh, so essentially what happened to me was like my entire team got laid off. And then like I would say three levels of my leadership got laid off. Uh, I still am surprised. I don't know why I, I was left behind, but it was kind of uh, really, really hard, uh, you know, to go through it in the moment, but then also uh, very quickly pivoting from a resilience standpoint and seeing what we could do to help, uh, you know, to people who indeed did not have employment anymore, like in some cases had to like leave the country and, and go back, uh, you know, to their home countries and being able to see how we could help. So it was, it was probably, I think, one of the darkest moments of my career in terms of things that I've had to deal with and handle. Uh, I would say it taught me two things. Uh, one, uh, I have this notion of leaders are just one of you. Uh, sometimes we feel like you know leaders know too much or we put leaders on a pedestal. I think that taught me that you know many of the leaders I looked up to and respected didn't have an idea of what was happening either. Right? So in some ways, it allowed me to give more grace to my leaders as I worked through. Uh, different roles to say, you know, hey, there's just one of you that they're like you in many different senses. 
And I think the other thing it taught me was this deep sense of learning on how to be compassionate in hard situations, uh, like just trying to put yourself in the perspective of the other people and seeing how you could do anything, uh, you know, to, to help, I think was the other thing I learned from it quite a bit. Mm. I, it's interesting you bring up the, uh, the air of redundancy, because I'm afraid we probably have another wave of recession coming like a tsunami uh, towards us in the coming year or, or less. And um, I don't know whether you uh, read Ray Dalio's book, mm-hmm. uh, which is which I found so very interesting, yeah. uh, The Principles uh, of a Changing World Order, that um, it, it will happen to us a number of times, these cycles that he looked at in history, whether it be the Dutch and they being the reserve currency and the British and the reserve currency, American reserve currency, and next China, and it will become the reserve currency. And that, you know, there's, uh, as we speak right now, Nancy Pelosi, who's, deciding to visit Taiwan, which is really very provocative for the Chinese. And yes, it might make people think that she and Joe Biden are stronger, but she's really pulling on the tiger's tail. And China does see Taiwan as their country. It's it's just a question of time. They look in a completely different perspective. But of course, the Romans used to own Britain. Now, whether the Italians come and take over England again, go, well, look, it used to be ours. We'd like it back again. There's got to be a question of how long do you decide that something was yours uh, and, and you want it back again? And we're seeing this, of course, with Putin and mm-hmm. bits of the USSR that he keeps uh, trying to grab back again. And if Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania go, then we really have got problems. But that could happen. Um, that, that is really very interesting, your perspective. Thank you for that. Um, now, let's, let's go back from all, the, all that you've learned now up to this point. Here you are, the chief technology officer uh, of Remitly Global. What is it? I mean, you were um, recruited from Google in a, a fantastic job as the engineering director. And they went, come on, we want we want you to come in and be our chief technology officer. What was it that attracted you to Remitly? Because it, it had to be very exciting to pull you out of something as world famous as Google. I mean, Remitly is a good company, but, but, but what was it that attracted you? Yeah, I, I would say the number one thing that drove my attention towards Remitly was... Um, this resolute focus on the purpose that Remitly has on, on driving uh, transformation in the lives of immigrants and their families. Uh, you know, our focus is on financial services, but it really is the focus on, uh, you know, driving transformation in, in the lives of immigrants and their families. And I think that resonated quite a bit. Uh, I'm a first-gen immigrant myself, so I've gone through that process of immigrating to a new country and seeing the challenges that someone faces. So I think that resonated quite a bit. Uh, and what was remarkable about Remitly was uh, it wasn't just the notion that was put on a wall and said, this is our purpose. Like every single individual I spoke to, like resonated with it authentically. So it goes back to that notion of authenticity. Uh, and I think that was probably the number one reason. Uh, and number two, I think would be, I think the culture that Matt and team have created is just phenomenal. Like I think there's so much uh, bonding, there's so much association to are we driving the right things from a customer standpoint more so than anything else? So that customer centricity stands out. And I think it was really, I would say, the, the two primary reasons for me to look at it and say, wow, I want to be part of this mission and I want to you know, contribute towards it, I think would be, you know, I would say the primary reason why I'm here. Yeah, well, no, we're, we're very grateful that you are and, and you do bring a lot of value at the same time as, as contributing uh, to, and I'm sure you'll gain from it too. It's a case of give and get. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about uh, you know learning in a new environment, uh, a number of people listening will either be um, 
at the stage where they're they've got children who, who are about to go launch into business. They're sort of 16 to 18 years old. Looking mm-hmm. back at your own experience, and I presume at that age you were still in India, mm-hmm. um, right. what would be a bit of advice you'd give to yourself? This is important, but this doesn't matter. If you went back to the future and you met yourself, mm-hmm. but that, that those bits of advice are still highly relevant to other people listening for their own children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would say I would go back to this notion of explore, evolve and enjoy. And I would say, I think when I was in that age group, I wish someone had taught me more about the the explore and the enjoy bits quite a bit, because I think I would have probably wanted to spend more time exploring more than, than I ended up doing in, in my early career. And I would say I would have definitely wanted to like enjoy and cherish the moments a lot more deeply than I did in the early parts of my career. I would say I spend a lot of my time evolving, learning, growing. Uh, but I probably would have spent more time exploring, trying out different things, trying out different places, looking at learning from different people uh, and probably enjoying those moments a lot more you know, deeply than I did. Uh, I, I like that one particularly. I mean, obviously, um, I'm looking at Joyful, which is one of Remitley's values and I've got them here on my wall. So I, I believe in that much. Um, there's not many companies where I'd want to have their values on my wall, but I certainly do with Remitly Global. And... Um, this idea, and, and we had a talk about this when we had the offsite together, which you were at recently, and people people did say they wanted to make sure as well as the explore and the evolve that they wanted to enjoy things more because you can work so very, very hard and give your life blood, mm-hmm. your, your life energy to an mm-hmm. organization, but you don't have so much enjoyment and you think, well, when I retire, then I'll enjoy myself. And that's way too late. And often people die shortly before retiring or on retiring. So it is that difference between success and happiness that that happiness is the journey. It's not the destination. It's actually every day. It's today. It's you and I having this chat on a podcast, you in Seattle uh, in in your morning, me in my evening in in London and and, and having fun. Mm -hmm. Because people want to be around people who are joyful and that they enjoy things. And I think looking back on my 60 years of my life, I think I certainly explored and I know I evolved a lot. I'm continuing to evolve uh, massively, but I do think I could have enjoyed things a bit more. I, I, as a young officer, I was very wild and had a lot of fun uh, in the British Army. But I, I think as you get responsibilities and you have children and you, and you grow up and, and, and you're working with very senior people, you can take yourself a bit too damn seriously. Uh, and I think that's a good motto. Don't say yourself too damn serious. No one else is. So, so don't do it yourself. I, I love your, your three E's. They're very good. So let's move from those advice to yourself to let's go and think about what I'd call um, mo- moments that really made a biggest difference to you, a sort of crucible moments defining moments even i think i'd use the, the actual term i, I quite like mm-hmm. defining moments what would be uh, a couple that you'd talk about in that one mm-hmm. yeah i think the one that comes to mind for me is like i think in this era of i don't know corporate ladder growth chasing uh, there's a lot of people doing that right now uh i'll you know happily self-admit i was one of those people i've chased my own ladders uh, i just got to a point where uh, i got what i was striving for from a role level title perspective. And I was meant to be happy. I was meant to be proud. I was like, wow, like I've made it, I should be happy. Uh, But the reality was I wasn't happy. (laughs) 
and nothing really changed, right? I was like, oh, okay, I got here. Now what do I do? Um, and I was like, I have no idea. So like I had no direction. I had no compass, you know, to, to move forward. It was like, okay, what do I do now? And then, yes, this happiness that I was looking forward to didn't come. It was like, okay, nothing really changed. So I think it really made me think about, one, why did I spend all that time? The sacrifices I made, the trade-offs I made to get there were probably not worth it. So it was really good reflection. And like, I probably shouldn't have done those things. And I think it really pivoted the, the rest of my life and direction forward to be like, the role, the title, the money, the ladder doesn't quite matter. Uh, what matters is, you know, uh, are you finding satisfaction? Are you finding uh, a sense of inner belief on what you're trying to drive towards? And if that doesn't happen, it, it doesn't really like move anything forward. So I think it really helped me uh, stop chasing things and then start owning and living things I wanted to believe in. Uh, and that's why, like, I think I pivoted really, really uh, differently from a direction standpoint. And that's what led me to where I am today. Uh, I, I so love that. And that resonates with, uh, I was giving a talk to Pankaj and the international team. Um, I, I want to do it next time face to face. I, I don't find giving a motivational talk by video works so well because you, you want to have the interaction. You want to have people laugh and, and sort of play off people. But I, I talked about some of the things you've just been talking about, but in a, in, in a, a sort of a route map, really, of, of the, the first thing being, as we talked earlier, about personalizing your life map and you've talked about this now about this inner belief and own it don't chase it so it's like own your map and and decide what on there that people have given you is not true and who else can you learn from that you almost like controls that you can draw down on your own map of things that are quite good to learn from because you don't want to learn from everybody and a lot of the time the information they're giving you is completely wrong and misleading so i think the first thing is owning your map the second one is is set your compass with your values. Now, in your case, you have the 15 Remitly values, but you know, I tend to, we're talking in a moment about starting with MQ with the eight inspiring leadership principles that, that are values of what makes high, high performance. Uh, so setting, setting your compass on your map. And then the third one of all those values, the one that's the most important is following your true north. Of all those values, if you don't follow your true north, and you alluded to it, then we, we drift. And we've got a classic example with Boris Johnson. Who, who's come, who, who had no compass. I mean, like he was just on the map having a wander around. And, and that gave us a good example of how not to do things. I know I've got things wrong in my life at times where I haven't been authentic and I mm -hmm. haven't been sticking to my true north. Uh, and, and it's a hard lesson. So um, any, any thoughts that come from you, the map, the compass and true north? Does that resonate? Yeah, yeah it definitely resonates. And I think it's, it's important to, you know, like you said, it, I like your version better than mine, which is own it, don't chase it. Because uh, like I think it's important to own your life map and, and drive um, the direction and you know where that journey takes you because it's not a destination focused concept it's a journey focused concept. Mm. No, I think I think uh, I feel another talk coming on. You own it, don't chase it. You know, <laughs> it's all about uh, that, that that taking accountability, which is a very big uh, word for remitly responsibility, personal accountability. What are you going to do about it? You know, yep. don't don't collude with everybody else and just take things easy and complain about the environment, you know, cost of living crisis, energy crisis. That's the reason why I'm not doing well. No, no. Commit yourself. Fully commit yourself. Don't collude. Commit. 
and, and you choose. You choose. Are, are you going to collude or are you going to commit? It's your choice. And you can blame anybody else, but actually the ownership's yours. That's right. Let, let's touch on, on that first one, which is um, following your true north. And, and I was very influenced by Bill George and uh, when I was at Harvard. Uh, he wrote a book about uh, discover your true north. Mm -hmm. I think it was, but it's you know the idea of true north is has been used very often. And when talking with uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Karina Frasheri, who's just just joined uh, from Expedia, she was saying, "Well, Jonathan, I like this idea of you know follow your true north, but where I'm in Argentina, we're following the southern star. So you know, <laughs> so it's always remember that somebody will see it differently from you. But it's yep. this idea of having something that guides you in all weathers." day and night, misty or clear skies, you, you know there's some, I think back to your words, that consistency mm -hmm. was so important, which ties with your authenticity and resilience. So um, True North and what makes you authentic is what we're talking about. You probably got some experiences of time when you drifted off and you forgot to follow True North. How did you get yourself back on and, and what did you learn about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, I've drifted a number of times, and I think I continue to drift as I live my life. Um, I think I would say the compass I have followed, I think, is is comprising of three aspects that I'll probably talk about, and I'll, I'll and I'll you know maybe talk about uh, what happened when I drifted and what I learned from it. So I would say I have three core beliefs that I think are my true north uh, that that helps me drive towards you know my careers and my my life map in that sense. Uh, number one is. I genuinely have a belief that like everybody is uniquely special and then yeah, I can learn from everyone uh, in terms of something that they bring, right? So like for me, that inherent curiosity of what can I learn from the individual I'm talking to right now, I think drives my ability to lead with compassion because uh, when you have that eye, when you have that inkling to say, what can I learn? I think that that care and compassion comes as a natural side effect. So I would say that's been, you know, number one. Uh, number two is is a sense of integrity. Like, how do you behave when no one's watching? Helps define like what kind of person you are and what kind of culture you create in the organizations you can lead. And the third one we chatted about is indeed consistency. It's a big factor for me, which is it's the small little things done well repeatedly uh, that matter a lot more than you know the big bang that happens you know once in a few years. Uh, so in sense, in some senses, I would say it is going to be you know compassion and the eye for learning. Um, integrity and consistency as, as my true north values. Um, I would say when you stop believing, when I stop believing that I can learn from someone, I feel like I stop enabling them. So, you know, when I've made those mistakes and I've drifted away from that, I feel like I'm not enabling people and I've learned to be like, okay, I need to go back and see what are their strengths? What can they provide? What can they drive value in? And I think that's been helpful. Uh, I would say when you stop being consistent, people see through it pretty quickly. And they're like, yeah, you're you're not authentic. You're not being authentic. So I think it shows up quite clearly. And I would say, lastly, on integrity, uh, I would say it's very easy, uh, you know, to lose perspective from other people when you demonstrate lack of integrity. So it's it's very hard to gain, and it's very easy to lose. Uh, and I've had that in my life where I've lost the sense of integrity from somebody I was interacting with, and it's very hard to gain back. Right. So when you drift, you really have to start afresh and, and get going again. Yeah, I think it's really good. And of course, you've created another little uh, little saying that if you don't handle your TNT, there's a big bang, as you talked about. You just mentioned the big bang. So I quite like the way you combine those two. It's smartly done. And uh, something else was coming up for me. Um, uh, yeah, it's this idea that everybody you meet has something to teach you, if only you'd listen. And 
I, I know it's very easy for us to be quite judgmental about other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's work in progress for me all the time. I, I, I partly think I'm doing an interesting course called the Hoffman Institute process. And if you haven't done it and you can spare seven days of your life, it's big in America. Oh. Um, but I'm going to do it in December. And it takes me back to my childhood and the values that my mother had bringing me up because my father was killed. And the fact father was killed and he was in the military. He was a Navy pilot, fast jet pilot. And I was at boarding school at the age of seven or eight. Um, all have a big influence on who I am today and the values I set, which I took from them. So mm-hmm. some people, you might have followed your father and your brother, in your case, and mi- mirrored them. Other people kick back against that and they do exactly the opposite. You know, someone wants to control them and they want to kick back and they, they're rebellious. So I think it's very interesting thing about the values you have and the map you you were given saying, here you are, this is your map, take it with you. And you go, yeah, okay, but I'm actually, I'm learning things that don't fit to this map, whether it might be faith or or, or an upbringing, or I'm going to adjust this in light of what I'm learning from people I respect and admire. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think not taking things at face value is very powerful. Next one round from MQ, which was the moral question, was PQ, meaning what gives your life meaning and purpose. And I, I believe, if I'm right, it's sometimes referred to as Dharma, yes, uh, but, but really your, your, your life journey, your calling, your vocation. Tell me a bit about, about yours. Yeah, I would say right now, mine is genuinely be, be, being a small part of someone's growth gives me the most satisfaction. So if I can be a part of somebody else's life journey, like we said, right, you get a life map and you get influenced by what you see and what you learn from. So for me, what gives my life meaning and purpose is just being a small part of someone's life. Uh, If I can contribute to their growth journey, uh, that's what gives me the most satisfaction. I would say I've evolved to that thinking, like we chatted about earlier. I would say more selfishly, uh, you know, what, what gives me meaning and purpose is just learning something positive from everyone. I do, like I said, this this belief of I can actually, you know, g- gain some small pieces of, you know, valuable things that I can learn from anybody around me, I think keeps my curiosity satisfied of like, you know, why is somebody behaving this way? What can I learn from it? And I think that drives my inner satisfaction more selfishly. So I think that's another one. Um, and yeah, I, I do think, you know, what gives my life Am I making a difference in somebody's life? Uh, is that actually what, what I stand for? Uh, and, and that can be either through the products I build, uh, you know, things that we contribute as far as, you know, what our organizations build uh, or through, you know, the people you lead, right? Like the teams you build and the people you lead and be able to say, are you being, uh, are you able to create a, a difference in somebody's life, whether they are customers or your team? Yeah, I, I think that's really good. And, and from that sense of what gives you meaning and purpose and the way you help other people. Uh, you also, we need to look after ourselves as well, which takes us on to health and well-being. The health and well-being of the culture you're going to create, because as part of the executive and as the chief technology officer, there's an awful lot of engineers who look to you uh, for what's the role model of the way to be and how has he got from then, now, and how did he get there? That's a, a wonderful part of if you're a storyteller, you you tell them how things were then and now how they are now. So, and, and, and therefore, they're interested in the journey you made between the two, then, now and how. 85% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. 85%. And the, pro, the, the number isn't much better for the UK and other places around uh, European countries. What's been your learning about HQ, health quotient? 
both brain health and physical health, which are so intertwined? And what's your tips you'd give to others? Yeah, yeah. So on the physical health side, uh, I think I've definitely learned a lot over the course of my life. I think I've been a lot more hit and miss than I would like. Um, you know, quick story. I was generally healthy till I came to the states, uh, and I definitely let go and became quite unhealthy, uh, obese. I would say. Uh, you know, that is when I think I learned my life and fitness lesson of like, it, it's probably more important to focus on that than anything else. Uh, so I ended up like finding time to go, you know, learn about health and fitness because I didn't really have any, you know, education in that topic, uh, you know, focused on it, became consistent at it. Um, I learned that, you know, not, not finding time is an excuse. We like to give ourselves this excuse or we're busy. I have better things to do. Uh, my learning was when I actually did focus on, fitness as a consistent habit and a way of living. Uh, I learned that I was able to manage my time better at work. Uh, so that led to better time management skills, uh, better focus, being able to focus and prioritize really, really key uh, in terms of, you know, skills as a leader. Uh, and I had better energy. Like when I focus on my own self, I would say I feel better now than I did, I would say a year ago in the peak of COVID when I had again let go. Uh, so I think what I've learned is that consistency is, is important. Uh, and then, you know, if you do find yourself, you know, giving excuses for driving fitness amongst your own self or your teams, uh, try it because you will learn things that you will actually leverage in your in your work life a lot more than you think. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's on physical health, for sure. Yeah, I, I do like that. And, and it, it is beholden on leaders like you to set the example of even telling your story, then how it was when you first came to America and let yourself go. Uh, and now uh, how you are and, and how you got between the two, because it's a challenge for so many people. And to know that it's it's not uncommon. And, and are you creating a healthy environment? Psychologically safe, that's one for the mental health, which I think remitly works very hard on creating psychological safety. And people share their ideas and they're listened to and they're not talked over. And the, we talked about the thinking environment before. Um, but also that there may be something that you do as a group of people to raise money for a particular charity that the Remitly Foundation might be supporting a particular charity. And perhaps can you all, you know, um, do some cycling activity or something which is quite fun and gets everybody together. But I, I think it is upon leaders like yourself to actually organize something or have one of your team. I remember when I was with the Scots Guards uh, base in Cyprus, I was appointed by my boss as the officer in charge of showing good form and showing good form meant you had to do fun things and be a little bit outrageous, but, but not in a vandalizing way, but just in a, in a fun way and, and organize stuff for other people. And I think you should appoint someone as the sort of chief health officer yeah, and, right. and, and, and get in your team and get them to do some fun activities where you raise money and therefore you're leaving a legacy particularly if you just only go on to, is it 3rd Street or 4th Street? I forget which one it is. One of the streets in Seattle near your office where there's just so many people who are drug takers and they're, they're sitting in doorways and they need help. What can be done? Who knows? So I, I look forward to hearing what, what you do with that. EQ is next, emotional and social intelligence. Um, I found from very early on uh, discussing with you and going through some of your selection psychometrics, it came across very strongly that you have developed a good level of emotional and social intelligence. You're using your emotions intelligently. Was that always so, or have you learned it from certain people? And, and what tip would you give to others? 
Okay. I would say everything you see in front of you or anybody observes is learned. Uh, I would say, you know, when I, when I started off, like, you know, uh, I think I, I was definitely not the same way as I am today. Uh, so a lot of it has been acquired, acquired skill, acquired experience, things I've learned over time, making a lot of mistakes uh, and learning from them. I would say things I've learned thus far that I can like share in terms of things that I think would, would help other people. Um, I try really hard to assume good intent always, uh, right? Like it's always easy to judge. It's very hard to give people that that sense of grace and, and assume that good intent coming. Uh, I try to understand the why uh, behind, you know, people, like if they are saying or doing something that is, uh, you know, coming across inappropriately to me, like I try to understand the why, which I think is, is the, the key to like leading the first step. And I think I try to find focus on uh, finding points of alignment or points of congruence that you can, you know, drive alignment towards and leverage that as a directionality uh, to move forward. Because especially in the area I am with technology and engineering, uh, you rarely can get consensus. You put 10 engineers in a room, we will never agree to the same thing ever. Uh, so in some senses, it is important to find what are the points of alignment and move focus you know, towards that to be able to get to a level of congruence because you will never get consensus. I would say that's my you know, three learnings I've had you know, thus far in terms of my evolution. Yeah, I think I love that one. And it's so, it's so true. And, and it's always interesting to me when you're working with an organization just engineers, you've got your work cut out. Um, mm -hmm. and um, you have to find ways of appealing and understanding uh, what makes them tick. Uh, but EQ is such a, a, a key part, particularly if you could be with engineers, you've got high IQ, but they also have good EQ. Then you're onto, you're onto a winner. If, you, if your organization, Remitly Global, can, can develop that in, it's a bit like a language, just mm -hmm. people haven't needed to use it. It's just, I'm gonna be rational with you. This is my argument, that's your argument. Here are the facts. I'm right. Mm -hmm. You know, I've won the I've won the argument. What's the problem? But you've lost the war, um, which takes me nicely uh, to someone who's moved from India into the American culture, which is quite a melting pot of different cultures. But like London and the UK is the same as well. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you meet quite a lot of uh, racism. You meet quite a lot of um, ignorance and arrogance, and um, people aren't so good at diversity, quality, inclusion, which is something which Remitly is very good at. Yep. Always work in progress. But I've, I've really admired the way they handle that. What would be your tips that you'd give on, on in, in ensuring we've got mm -hmm. good, what I call uh, cultural quotient, mm -hmm. cultural diversity quotient? Yeah. yeah, I would say one thing that I think helps me quite a bit, and I would say it's probably useful for sharing is, um, never assume that you understand someone else's life story or situation, right? Like I think a lot of uh, racism, a lot of lack of inclusion, a lot of lack of diversity happens because I think we make assumptions about, I know what this happened, right? Like I think ne never assume that you understand someone else's life story or situation. Um, as you learn about it, try to put yourself in their shoes and see how you would react. And then I think some of those reactions will make a lot more sense to you because you can at least you know, get a very, very limited sense of what, what their life is about. Uh, and I would say be a good student, right? Like try, try to understand and assimilate you know, what different cultures are about. Matt is phenomenal at this. I, I would call out Matt here. And he's phenomenal at trying to understand different cultures and be able to say, well, okay, like, you know, how do I then rationalize my own thought process against it? Uh, so I'd say being a good student, I would say is another tip I would provide. Um, I would say in, in our roles, especially ultimately, I think a lot of our focus is on mitigating biases 
you know, just in terms of these examples, but just mitigating biases. Uh, we are, you know, programs and structure we can create. Uh, so I'll give you an example. You know, if you're, you know, trying to promote somebody into a role that says, I will give this person this role. Uh, you do actually look at the rest of your talent pool and say, are you making the right call? Because you could be making a call that's judgment-based that said, I know this person, they're more in my face. I hear them because they're louder uh, or they're male versus female and you can make a call. Uh, so, so we actually do try to mitigate bias by saying, can we look at the availability of the talent pool that's available for this role? And then are we indeed making the right call? Is it best for the company uh, to be able to make that call? And it's not, again, it's always work in progress. We're not like, you know, high up there, like in terms of uh, perfection, but I think we're getting better at trying to mitigate bias. I, I think you are. And um, I, I do encourage other companies to have a look at what Remitter Global is doing uh, in this and, and the, the nice mix of different people. But of course, it's it's always a challenge in any organization. And um, you, you just think you're starting to get the balance right, of, of, of a lovely mix of people, and then different people leave and you go, oh, goodness, we have to rebalance it. And because they leave, then others are affected by it. It's, it's never something you can take for granted. And uh, it, it always, it, it's like it's like painting a very long bridge. By the time you get to the one end of it, you have to go back to the beginning and start painting all over again. Um, and it requires a certain amount of resilience, which is something you talked about very early on in your very starting uh, respect for people who are inspiring leaders. And you mentioned Matt Oppenheimer, the CEO, at uh, at Remitly is it really is an inspiring CEO and inspiring leader, and he has great resilience and needs to look after his own fitness and the way he does it. But the patience and the time he has for people, and the fact that he goes and sits in and listens to customer calls with the things that they're complaining about, so he's not losing touch with what's going on. What about you, when when uh, Anka, when you've um, been flagging? Because there's a lovely link between, not lovely, but it's an important link between health quotient and resilience quotient. Because you can be very resilient and you know, keep going and not having any holidays. And I'm American. I don't take holidays. I'm dead hard. Uh, but it will affect your your mental and your physical health. And, and of course, it then affects your family and it, it, the, the ripples spread out. So what's been your learning about resilience, picking yourself up and, and it's linked to health as well? Yeah, yeah. I would say I think it'll go back to something. Maybe I'll talk about too much in this podcast. I would say my focus on consistency mm. uh, helps me, you know, drive that resilience quotient up. I would say, you know, I think that focus on consistency allows me to be tenacious. It allows me to persist in the face of adversity. Uh, I would say, as as a human being, I'm generally quite confident. Uh, so, so I feel like I can, you know, break complex things into simple things. And then start doing them when adversity happens or you know even chaos happens. So I find myself, uh, I would say, enjoying is probably the wrong word. I find myself um, positive uh, when there is adversity or chaos because I feel like I can look at the situation, go back to the model of consistency, creating structure to help navigate me through, and then taking that complex situation, breaking it into small parts and say, what can I do now? What's the starting point? And then how do I go from there? So I think it gives me both directionality uh, and that navigation to say, okay, how do I you know, go through it and get to a better state? And I think it applies to that health quotient as well. We talked about it in a physical health sense. I'll talk about mental health here where it has to be consistent, right? I, I tell actually organizations that admittedly they'll probably be uh, you know, hearing from it, you know, probably in another couple of weeks again, which is it is important to be consistent in taking time off. 
right? Like just a weekend off doesn't help, you know, just a couple of days here and there doesn't help. You, your, your body, your brain needs, you know, vacation, a week, week long off or two week long off. And we, we try really hard, even intermittently to encourage people to take that time off because you do need that relaxation. I always say a weekend off is recovery. A week off is a little bit of relaxation and recharging and you need both. Uh, you know, so it's important to pay attention. Uh, and the last point I would make is burnout is hard, right? Most people don't realize they're burnt out till they've actually already burnt out. Uh, so the consistency in terms of driving focus towards your mental health is important to keep going because otherwise you don't discover it till, you know, you're much later on in that burnout category. Mm. Uh, I think you're so right. And this whole thing about not going on until you eventually keel over, but actually identifying it earlier. And often when someone's getting more and more burnt out, they can't see it because they're burnt out. Sure. It, it, it's, it needs someone else to go, stop. I'm saying to you, take some time off. Oh, no, but no one can do without me. I'm irreplaceable. Look, I tell you what, when you die, you're not irreplaceable. You know, everybody is, is, everybody is replaceable. Right. Um, brand. Um, I, I, I as, you, as you know, with uh, Matt and Josh, just done their, their 360s some while ago. And... Mm-hmm. 360s are really important. When have you last done a 360 with about 20 or so people? And what did you learn from it? And how did you find the process? Yeah, I think it was quite phenomenal. I would probably say I last did one a year or so ago. Uh, so in some way, it was like good to get that 360 perspective on, you know, what things work well with the peer group I was working in and what things I need to work on. I would say things I learned, it's always good to learn both strengths and areas of growth. Because uh, you need to make sure you double down on your strengths and keep doing them again consistently. And then you need to make sure that you're working on your areas of growth and see if they can get better. Uh, so for me, I think my strengths at that time were, uh, I think people found me approachable, uh, probably from the construct of wanting to just learn something from someone, I think probably leads to that that construct. Um, I think people found me genuinely curious, like in the sense of you know, listening and being able to ask uh, you know, things that would drive the right conversations. Um, and I would say, I think a lot of people found me focused on finding other people's strengths or their special sauce, uh, which I personally, you know, feel really happy about that that comes up because, uh, like I said, that, that is a key focus in, in the roles I play. So I'd like to see that. Um, I would say, I, I don't know, I've learned very early in my life that lifelong learning is, is a thing and, you know, I need to be a constant good student throughout my life. Uh, so I would say, you know, I am constantly learning through things that I do terrible at and, and getting better. Uh, and it's important to, you know, let go of some of your, I don't know, judgments and egos around certain things and, and try something and see if it gets better. Um, some of the ones that I think I'm learning right now that came up in my last 360 were uh, being better at letting go uh, and, you know, be able to say letting something fail because uh, I can overdo the keep trying part. I'll keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it's important to also, you know, have a, a threshold where you do let go and, and let something fail. Uh, that's something I'm personally trying to do better at. Uh, and then I also have a tendency to over explain the why, because I truly believe in understanding the why. So I think when I communicate, I, I have a tendency to over explain the why, which can you know lead to challenges. So I'm trying to get better at that as well. Mm. Now, you, you remind me of um, uh, being better at letting go and uh, allowing failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was storming Norman Schwarzkopf, mm-hmm. if you can say that after uh, a drink or two, which I don't drink alcohol, but it, uh, you storming Norman Schwarzkopf. And, and he said, I'd rather have you fall on your ass in peacetime than in war. You know, go and have a go and be prepared with the right reasons, 
to go to the point where you might fail, but what have you learned from it? And we were always taught in the military about the after action reviews, what went well, what make it even better. Um, and I love, uh, I think it's the University of Michigan, where they have a teachable point of view mm-hmm. and that they, they, they see failure, not as failure, but this is a teachable point of view. And, and of course, being brought up in IBM, they had the John Watson with his famous story mm-hmm. of one of his uh, directors who uh, day two came in and said that he, he had this problem and uh, he just wanted to tell him about it because it, it, it had gone, gone wrong. And he said, did you tell the previous CEO? And he said, no. He said, how long has it been going wrong like this? He said, about six months. He said, why didn't you tell him? He said, well, we had a sort of uh, failure is not an option kind of attitude and uh only good news and so i couldn't give him good news because i was just trying to sort it out but it's got worse and worse and he said what do you reckon the cost is of this and he said i suppose six hundred and fifty thousand dollars which back then in the 50s was an awful lot of money and and the the senior vice president said to john watson so i suppose you're going to fire me aren't you and john went fire you well why, why would i fire you I've just invested $650,000 in your development. Go away, work out the problem, talk with your team, find a solution, come back and brief me on it on Friday. He did. And they made $3.5 million from solving the problem. And he went on to become the CEO after John. Now, if this man had made mistake again after again and, and John kept saying, oh, it's a teachable point of view, don't worry, then fool on him. But in this particular case, this guy really was genuinely keen to solve it. And, and it just warns you a bit like in Lehman Brothers, which had a failure is not an option. Okay. And it meant, meant that they carried on hiding things when it was getting worse and worse because the graphs couldn't lie after the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that It's not a good culture. Any, any thoughts that come up from you from that story? Yeah, it, I mean, I know you and I have talked about that story in the past. So it definitely resonates quite deeply. Uh, I think it, it's a very hard line on creating that trust and believing in people, which I think was the example you talked about. And then uh, being able to distinguish that from repeated consistent failure, uh, which you need to performance manage and take action on. So yeah, it definitely resonated quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very true. Okay, well, thank you for that. Finally, before going to executive teams and a book and your top tip, Mm-hmm. Um, legacy is very important. I, don't I know. know I know your, on search. I know from your earlier conversations. Sorry, technology always surprises us, doesn't it? Um, that uh, you know, stewardship, leaving things better than you found them. However long remotely going to be lucky to have you, I know you want to leave things better than you found them. So, so what about your personal legacy, and that about business? Yeah, I would say personal legacy. Um, I just want to know, like, at least when you know all is said and done, like I wanna, I wanna go away thinking that I made a difference in someone's life, uh, whether that's my family, or that's my friends, uh, or you know now switching into more of the business sense, like whether they're my customers and my team. Uh, so I think just making sure that you know you can again small difference, something that you can hang back on and say, hey, I, I learned something from this guy. Uh, I think would be would be my my general legacy and what I want. Nothing nothing outstanding, just, you know, small little difference. Uh, if it, I think it's just some of that, you know, some of what I practice today, uh, I hope, you know, le- leaves a legacy in the sense of that people use it, learn from it, and then evolve it. 
uh, it's very similar to your life map story of you know you're handed a thing and then you kind of put your own special sauce on it and bring it on uh, which over time gets amorphous right like it's not associated with you anymore uh, but it doesn't matter right as long as it's driving benefit in in somebody's life in the world that's what really matters and that's what I'm striving for mm, well I, I love your legacy and I, I think both often it needs to be simple don't make it too complicated and you have but do, simple doesn't mean that it's it's not powerful simple I think it often is more powerful sometimes people try and confuse you with lots of stuff black box and things and you haven't got a clue what they're talking about do you know what often they haven't either as we learned from CDOs and CDO swaps and synthetic CDOs and no one knew what they were talking about it was all it was all gobbledygook mm-hmm. um okay what about um executive teams where when you've tried to create a high performing team and you found that it's toxic what's been your way of handling it what would you advise people from your experience yeah i would say what i've learned is uh, toxicity is often like misplaced expectations or mismanaged expectations in that sense um, if you're driven by mismanaged expectations lack of clear communication uh, of what needs to happen uh, or i would say mismanaged uh, talent or, or potential Uh, so for me it's either or or more of these these factors so for me when i've seen toxicity in teams particularly in executive teams i try to understand the why so it goes back to simple concepts understand the why uh, you know i look to structure for help so i try to find data that i can leverage as signal to say what can i learn from what is made available to me and then and then try to drive insight which is more intuition based you know based on my read on people because you know toxicity is a people centric concept so in some ways once i've had the data i try to drive insight using intuition and and my quote and quote judgment on people to understand how we can drive to a better outcome and and reduce that toxicity either way right either in terms of coaching and grooming or you know by by changing the team that work on it yeah no it's very good and we must quickly add to all listeners that we don't mean grooming in the wrong way uh we we mean bringing them on and uh, mentoring <laughs> coaching and mentoring that's right uh, uh, so um i asked you about a favorite book and mm-hmm. and i know that you've got uh three or four yeah. so uh, we have just a moment or two for that so do share your your top four books that you like and and why you'd recommend people listen to them yeah Maybe i'll read them. draw it back to this the three e's concept of you know explore evolve and enjoy so i would say my first book recommendation is one that i think has has led me to be more joyful and and you know focus on that enjoy a lot more uh, that book is called uh, the art of happiness uh, this is by the dalai lama and howard cutler uh, it really changed my life in terms of how i think about you know servantile leadership and and thinking of others uh, the other three are more focused on the the evolve and the explore part of it and and I'll quickly walk through those uh, the first one is called influence the psychology of persuasion by robert cialdini uh, like it definitely is a book that helps you figure out how to drive influence without quote unquote authority uh, and then how to leverage that to drive results which i think was quite awesome and i learned quite a bit from it um, uh, i also had the pleasure of learning in a small group session with marshall goldsmith so the book recommendation is what got you here won't get you there I happened to be part of a small group when he was teaching when he wrote this book and it was just amazing to learn the constructs and the book teaches you so I think it's super super useful so I will always recommend that one uh, and I'm I'm a big Simon Sinek fan so uh, like I am definitely fond of the infinite game and start with why so you will see this in the rest of my talk we talk a lot about the why uh, so that was good learning as well so yeah those are my book recommendations 
Well, they all resonate very strongly for me. Um, Dalai Lama, particularly, uh, I'm going to reread The Art of Happiness. Simon Sinek, yeah, I've always been a big fan. And and he also studied the military in my 20 years, you know, Officers Eat Last. Uh, it was another one of his books, but but start with why. And then, like you, I was fortunate enough to be trained by Marshall Goldsmith as a leadership coach. Um, and I spent some, some weeks with him uh, on and off. Uh, to become certified in his uh, coaching approach to mm -hmm. stakeholder-centered coaching. And uh, he is such a character, large in the life, um, Kentuckian. And, um, but yeah, he's also, he loves that little bit of uh, the sort of Dalai Lama and a bit of Buddhism mixed with a bit of brashness. And I can't quite sort of, can't yeah. quite mix it all up somehow, but he, he, he does it in his own style. But, but that, yeah. that line that, someone else said but he used and it's very powerful what got you here will not get you there and i think this is the lesson for so many of us in our lives that 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 we we carry on doing what we've always done which is sometimes what we're hired for they they certain qualities certain patterns that we have psychological patterns get us to a certain role and indeed our boss sometimes likes us overdoing those which then become weaknesses as we've done in the hogan development survey the dark side but they're not always good for us. And when we need to do the next level, doing amplifying that rather darker side of us is not going to be helpful. So yeah. I, I, I do like that. Right. Um, if you now introduce yourself again, this is a standalone piece, as you know, in the top tip. Introduce yourself and the role you play in the organization you're in and give us your two minute top tip and we'll wrap up at that stage. That's awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, I would say uh, my name is Ankur Sinha. I am the chief technology officer at Remitly Global. Uh, my two-minute top tip for you is uh, explore, evolve, and enjoy the journey uh, and celebrate the small, consistent wins as you chase your dreams. Uh, don't go at it alone. Uh, take your teams with you and lead with contagious compassion uh, and focus on what matters most for your people, product, and processes. That's a lovely tip, and, and I, I know it will serve us well. And I'm, I'm certainly your threes I will take away with me uh, and, and use uh, strongly. Akasina, thank you very much indeed for being on the Inspired Leadership Podcast. You have inspired me and I know you inspire so many others. And good luck in Remitly Global. Thank you, Jonathan. My pleasure. Take care. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.